save anybody. Come on, somebody. Amen. What am I supposed to do with this stuff? All right. Hey, uh, you know what? I'm glad to be back in Chi-Town. Amen. I'm glad to be back with you guys, especially. Amen. I thank God for you. I have uh, just been enjoying myself. I've uh, been in a conference this weekend ministering to a bunch of Indian folks. Oh, look at my brother right here. Dude, can I have one more? Come on, you know what I'm saying. Oh. A little squish from Ish. <laughs> Amen. Well, praise God. Amen. How, how's the Lord been treating everybody in here? Come on, all together at one time. You better be saying awesome or great or phenomenal. Hallelujah. You know, I'm one month away from being a daddy for the second time. Come on, somebody. Amen. Last time we were here, we were f- trying to find out. Um, oh, I guess I'm supposed to preach this tonight. All right, no problem. We were finding out if we're having a boy or a girl, and I want to announce to you that we are going to have a baby. Girl. Hallelujah. So I have already have Elijah Daniel, the double prophet, and um, we're going to have Zoe Elizabeth. Amen. Which means life consecrated. So uh, keep us in your prayers. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of work to do on that part of it, but keep my wife in your prayers. And uh, thank God for uh, what he's going to do. You know, if the Lord should tarry, I think the generation that is crying out in the crib, come on, somebody, we need to, we need to, we need to set something up for them. Amen. You know, there, there's this thought. I mean, I already feel the anointing in here so strong. I just feel like, I mean, we, is it okay? Can I just minister? Do we have to get, can we get past the formality? You know, the Lord started speaking to me about generational equity. And generational equity is simply, when you think about equity, it's what the value of something is minus the debt that's owed on it. Come on, somebody. You understand what I'm talking about? If you've ever owned a house or a car, or if you want to own a house or a car, you better understand equity. You don't want to be borrowing money for something that in the end is not going to be worth it. Come on. And the Lord began to speak to me about generational equity. Generational equity is this, that the generations that go, uh, they have an opportunity to either invest, come on somebody, or to withdraw. And God was showing me that there was a generation that came back from World War II and began to invest. There was a boomer generation, right? And they invested in so many people, they invested in, and they, and, and they wanted to give a better life because they had been through the depression. Come on, if you've ever had a grandma and you went to her house and she would save everything. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, then there was a generation that rose up and that generation decided they didn't want to follow what their parents did. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, in the church, there's a spiritual equity that's taking place. The Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so God isn't asking us just to set up an inheritance spiritually for the next generation, but for the generation that falls behind the next generation. Can you say amen? Well, what has been going on is that there's a generation of people that are fasters and people that are prayers and people that are focused in on what God has asked them to do over their life and they've put so much into the kingdom. And then there's a generation that came up in the church that has sped up the inheritance. We're living in negative spiritual equity. And that's why it's so hard to get people to believe about healing today. We had a healing revival that took place in the body of Christ, and it was phenomenal. Brother Huckabuck would show up in the meeting, and you would hear necks snapping and popping. 
People with cancer in the stomach would fall right out onto the floor, goiters dropping off of people's jaws. And they invested in this thing. But then there came a generation that sucked it dry. And they got into this whole ritualistic and formality uh, where Christianity became churchianity. And now we're living in a generation that's saying, I'm tired of hearing about what Pappy and Grandma did. I'm tired of reading about Smith Wigglesworth. And listen, I love reading about Smith Wigglesworth. I spent four weeks in, in England reading his personal diaries. Reading through his uh, personal theologian's diaries. But I'm tired of reading about what these men of God saw happen in their lifetime. The greatest thing I learned about Smith Wigglesworth from reading all that stuff was that he was not caught up, although he respected the men and women of God before him. He was not caught up looking back at what they did. He lived his life like Jesus lived his life, on the edge. Jesus took fullness to a real different level than you and I do. Fullness. He lived in the fullness of the moment. If it was time to rest, he rested fully. If it was time to move, he moved fully. If it was time to minister, he ministered fully. He emptied out himself. The Bible says, uh, the kenosis theory that he emptied himself out and he fashioned himself as a man and became a servant to you and I. Jesus knew about being full and being empty. Come on, somebody. And when we start to live our lives understanding that a wise man or woman leaves an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, Metro Praise is leaving an inheritance. Come on, somebody. You in here tonight, I hope that you've come in here not just to withdraw from God or with the, withdraw from the man of God. Come on, somebody. But I hope that you've come to make a deposit. You know, I hope you come to make an impact on this world. I hope that with all your withdrawing, you don't go out and waste it. Waste it on your flesh and waste it on your lust and waste it on your pride of life and waste it on the things that your eyes see but your lips have never, never tasted and you want some of that thing right there. And so you lose the anointing. Like Esau, for a morsel, for some chunky soup. We have a responsibility not to follow in the footsteps of churchianity that is falling off into a cliff. I don't know about you, but I am not going to no churchianity concentration camp. Can, can you hear me? They're going to have to kill me or drag me or do something. Because I'm not going to play their games. Just call me Rudolph today. <laughs> I ain't going to join in any games. I'm going to have Jesus the way the Bible says I can have Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm going to have Jesus when he came. He came and he manifested so that he might destroy the works of the wicked one. And if he's here to destroy the works of the wicked one, I've got to ask a question. Has he destroyed the works of the wicked one in your life? Because don't tell anybody else about how good God is if he ain't good in your life. Don't tell anybody else about how awesome he is if he ain't awesome already in your life. Don't tell anybody how holy he is if he ain't holy in your life. Don't tell me that Jesus can set you free when you're the one that's all bound up in that spiritual straitjacket. I'm talking to somebody today who's tired of reading about it. 
tired of hearing about so-and-so did it. They want to taste it, and they want to see, and they want to know the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. They want to know what it is to hear the healing shriek of somebody being set free when a demon comes out of their life, and they're free from epilepsy, or they're free from diabetes. They want to hear that thing. Want to hear the shriek of a nurse as a person gets up out of a hospital bed. They want to hear the screams of the broken one being healed. Hear the joy of the Lord just coming upon the hearts of the individuals that are crying out. I want to be a part of that generation. I want to be a part of that generation. I want to, you know, you've come here tonight and I, I, I don't have a lot for you. You didn't come here for me. You better have come here for God. Because I'm a man. I'm a dust vessel. I got lips of clay like you do. And my, sp- and my sin smells like doo-doo. Can you feel me? I just believe God has brought me here not to be the gasoline, because I can't. Not to be the engine, because I can't, but I happen to be a spark plug in your life tonight. I come here to spark, and when spark hits gasoline, it starts the engine. Amen? And I believe that tonight God wants to start some engines. You need to go to another level in your thinking. You need to go to another level in your expectation for God, what He wants to do with your life. I know, I know what you said that you said God wants to do, but let's start seeing you say, okay, now you said you wanted to do this in my life, God. Now let me put something back and prove to you that you can do this in my life. Let me deposit something rather than withdraw something. Amen? I thank God for this church. I thank God for Pastor Joe. I thank God for the vision. Connect, mentor, send. It's all over you. Because you know why? Because that's the vision that God has given him. And the vision that God gave him is going to apply to your life. And when you connect and you mentor and you send, you are investing into the equity of the spirituality of the city of Chicago. Not only the city of Chicago, but to the nations of the earth in the name of Jesus. And a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Can you say amen? All right, let's start preaching. I've only got four pages of notes, and I've got five hours to do that in. And I've got to speak in tongues for at least an hour. So, Hebrews 13. And we are going to be all over the Bible, I believe. I want to lay a foundation this, this evening that I pray that you will not let Satan move out of your life. Hebrews 13 and 8, reading from the New King James, it says it this way. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I have checked all the translations with the exception of Young's literal translation. They all read this way. The only difference between Young's literal translation, what it says, is that until the end of the age. Come on, somebody. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that meets you here on the floor, when Sister Rachel is hucking, bucking on those keyboards, is the same Jesus that's in your apartment, in your, on your school bus, 
in your job, it's the same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sooner you wrap your life around that statement, the sooner you begin to believe God for what He really wants to do in the earth in the end days. Can you say amen? amen? Now tonight, I believe that if we predicate everything upon that statement, if we try to think of our lives upon this statement that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can acknowledge that Jesus Christ can so desire to move in the healing revival in 2009 like He did in the 40s and 50s. If we so believe that God could pour out His Spirit in a little church building that was a firehouse on Azusa Street in the city of Los Angeles in 1906. Why can't we believe that the way to get back the wind in Pentecost is to come to the windy city of Chicago and have the great ingathering of souls in the city of Chicago? You know, I've been doing a little research about this city, and there's a street down here called Devon. Anybody know where that is? That is a very international street, if you will. Jews and Americans and, and Russians and, and Indians and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis, all up and down that road. That is a gateway to the nations. And God has spoken to me about this church that this church is going to win the missionaries in the city of Chicago and send them out to the nations, specifically, Pastor Joe, Muslim nations. I hear the Lord saying there are Muslims in the city of Chicago that are going to be connecting with you. And God is going to use you to mentor them. And God is going to use this church to send them back to their home nations. To build and start churches so that the gospel may be preached to the ends of the earth. To every piece of dirt, here's the, here's the glory of God for the land that they live in. <laughs> Woo! You don't know what I'm talking about. I'm serious, man. You know what? In 1850, that street changed its name to Devon Street. Because of the Devonshire immigrants that came over from England. They inhabited that area. They worked in that area. And so they just decided there were so many of them, we're going to call it Devon Street. Or Devon Street as it's now pronounced. Actually, Devon Avenue, am I right? Which one? Street or Avenue? Avenue. But everybody basically calls it Devon Street, right? Do you know what the foundational name of that, this street was before 1850? The very first name given to the, this street. Brother, it's about to set you on fire. I can see smoke coming off him. The very first name, I believe, is so prophetic because it's in the foundation. The name of this street was called Church Street. 
And I believe there's a group of Holy Ghost young men and women and old grandpappies full of the Holy Ghost and some babies in their, cri- in their, in their little wheelie strolly things and they're going to be going up and down and I can see spiritually as they begin to stomp on the dust on Devon and there's going to be a cloud that's going to rise and out of that cloud is going to come a mighty spiritual army and that army's going to say, I don't care if you're from India or Pakistan, you got to know that there's a Jesus that died for your sins and he's ready. To set you free right now. And that dust cloud is going to get up. And people are going to start hacking and coughing. And God is going to come and blow that wind of Pentecost back into the city of Chicago. I'm telling you, why not God in 2009? Why not God at the end of June 18th? 19th? 20th? Why not? Why not? How many immigrants from other nations? You know, 1.8 million people moved to the city or to the country of Canada last year. 1.1 million of them were Muslim. Europe and, and and all of its outer regions have already been overrun by the Muslims. Their next target is North America. Thank you, Jesus. Someone say thank you, Jesus. Y'all think that's bad. No, that's good. That's awesome. Because I may not get a visa to get into Iran. I might not get a visa to get into such and such a place. But I got somebody coming my way that needs to get a little bit of what I got on the inside of me. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells on the inside of me. And when I walk on Devon or I walk in the subway station, I know I've got the Holy One in me. And I bring... The boom with me. Tonight we're talking about bringing the boom. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I'm not supposed to preach like this. I'm supposed to be real relaxed tonight. I ain't bringing the boom unless you bring the boom too. Come on. Then we get boom, boom. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. <laughs> Woo! There's something going to happen in here tonight. But you shall receive boom when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, to every last piece of dirt. Feels the boom. I'm telling you, the word power is dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. In Indian language, Hindi, it's called shaktiman. Say shaktiman. And, and what's it in Spanish? Someone tell me what power is. It's, come on, come on, come on. Say it loud. Come on, say it like you got some in you. It's power. And the word dunamis. When we break it down, it goes right to the root word dino, might. Dynamite. And everybody knows what happens when dynamite goes off. Boom! Amen? Now let me give you some definitions. Because see, 
what Tyrone wasn't supposed to get out here this early, okay? He was supposed to wait until I was done teaching, and I've got to put white Tyrone away and bring back Glenn to do a little teaching, okay? The word power in the, in the Greek is dunamis. Power, authority, control, command, sway, dominion, jurisdiction are all synonyms. The word jurisdiction, say jurisdiction. That's easy for you to say. Jurisdiction is the power, right, or authority to apply the law. Think about that for a minute. The power, the right, and the authority to apply the law. The law is resurrection power lives on the inside of me. <laughs> Jesus' command or his words are law. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse uh, 3 says, Do not be hasty to go from the presence of the king. It goes on to say in verse 4 that where the word of the king is, there is boom. Power. And who may say unto him, For everything there is a time and a judgment. A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. Where the word of the king is there, it's boom. Power. There's jurisdiction. There's law. And the, the, the boom is what applies the law. When the devil is breaking the law, you need to bring the boom. When he's breaking the law in your marriage, when he's breaking the law against your friend, when he's breaking the law in your mind, when he's breaking the law on your grandma, when he's breaking the law in your school classroom, bring the boom. Bring the application of the law. Bring the power and set him back. Come on. I mean, if you're a thief, just because there's a law doesn't mean you're going to obey the law. Come on, somebody. But if you catch the thief robbing, you have, you have to make him pay seven times. Hello, somebody. If you catch somebody breaking the law, you can make a citizen's arrest. I don't know about you, but I don't belong in this world. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a soldier. I'm passing through. I'm a soldier. I said I'm a J.C. soldier. So I'm going to make a citizen's arrest with the boom tonight. Amen. Greek, dunamis, means inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or thing exerts or puts forth. See, right there, they're going to go apply the law. Come on, somebody. Now, if you are a thief and you hear that noise, what's he going to do? I'm going to hang out and wait for the popos to get here. <laughs> See this TV set I got? <laughs> Here it comes. No, you're going to drop the TV and you're going to run, you dummy. The boom will strike fear in the heart of the devil. You believe in God, you do well, the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19. But the devil believes and he trembles. The word in the Greek is frizo. That's the same thing that happens to you when you stand outside trying to get the mail with no clothes on. Come on, somebody, in your PJs. You ever shake like that in the winter and you try to, you know, get in and you can't get in? And when you finally get in, I don't care how hot it is inside, you're still shaking? 
The Bible says the devil believes in God, believes in the boom, believes in the power that he has, and he knows. In fact, he knows he's been, he's had the boom lowered on him. Amen? This little, little light of mine, I'm going to kick the devil in his behind. Come on, somebody. And Jesus lowered the boom. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He felt the boom. It strikes fear in the heart of the devil. One of the things the church has lost is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, the Bible says. And so when you understand the authority that's been invested in you by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ, you understand that you have the opportunity at any time the devil rears his ugly head to, to bring the boom. Amen? You know, in the church today, I find there are many different groups of people. One of the groups I find, I'll call them fakers, counterfeits. People that look the part, they may give in the offering, they may raise their hand, they may sing a song that they like, but on the inside, they know that they ain't right. You can't do much about fakers. You just pray for them, hope they get right, and you hope they don't mess up your life because you thought they was real. For real. Amen? Then you don't only have fakers, you have what I like to call forsakers. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means no matter what goes on in your life, God ain't going to let you go and walk away from you. When it gets going bad in your life, when you fall into a ditch and when you do something wrong, God ain't going to say, well, you know what? You just messed up one too many times. I'm done with you. I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. When you forsake a person, you leave them stranded. In the body of Christ, I want you to know there are forsakers or people that are leaving the body of Christ stranded. They suck and they sponge off of whatever they can get out of the church and out of the people who love them. But in the time of tragedy, in the time when the flesh rises up, what do they want to do? They want to forsake everything that they've been holding to. They want to forsake their purity. They want to forsake what is holy in their life. They're forsakers. Don't be a forsaker. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You're, you're putting so much into this thing. Don't forsake him. You're just on the verge of your breakthrough. Don't forsake it. Don't give in to that relationship that you know ain't anointed from God. If you're going to forsake anything, forsake the flesh. Forsake the lies. Forsake the things that God has put in the fire. Leave them in the fire till they burn. There's fakers, there's forsakers, and then there's lap takers. Everybody say lap takers. Lap takers are people who wander in the wilderness taking lap after lap after lap after lap. I'll tell you what, the children of Israel for 40 years were walking around, and I'm telling you, you do this long enough, you're going to get dizzy. But it's not time to get dizzy, it's time to get busy, y'all, busy, y'all, busy, y'all. Lap takers. If you're a lap taker, here is some promises inside of you that you've never inherited yet. 
There's a piece of land that you've never inherited. There's a promise that you've never laid claim to yet. There's a mountain that belongs to you, and you're on the other side of that mountain going, that's my mountain. And people are like, yeah, right. You ain't never got it yet. Because you keep making the same mistake, falling into the same trap, falling into the same depression, falling into the same sin, falling into the same relationship, different face, but it's the same thing. You're a lap taker. And you're going to forever wander in the wilderness. Does that make you not a child of God? No, it just makes you not being able to take hold of the promises. And listen, you want to live in the promised land as a Christian. Why do you have to live any less than the promised land? It's disobedience that makes people lap takers. I'm just being plain with you tonight. You have not inherited something that God has promised you yet. And it's not about timing. It's about disobedience. Am I helping anybody here today? I mean, I just... I'm, I'm being very, very blunt with you today. Because I don't think anybody needs that. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I don't think you need that. This ain't Mary Poppins. I ain't about to pull out an umbrella and say, everybody come with me. I'll take you to the promised land. You're disobedient. God told you to do something. You hadn't done it yet. God told you to stop doing something and you're still doing it. You're a lap taker and you'll take a lap and a lap and a lap and a lap and then you will be trying to lap on the water because you're out of breath and thirsty in the desert. Fakers, forsakers, lap takers. But boy, I love number four. Number four are rainmakers. They're the ones that come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And they say, you know what? It ain't all about me and what I'm going through. I'm living in a land that's a famine. I'm living in a land that's full of desert. I'm living in a land with no vegetation. Come on, somebody. And without any hesitation, they've fallen on their knees and falling on their face. And they're blinding their eyes to the things of this world. And they're calling forth a cloud. That little prayer? I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. That's what the Bible says. That little thing going to bring revival? That little church over there on diversity? I mean, that little crazy Latino girl? The one that's always praying after service and everybody going home, she's still here praying? <laughs> Come on, demons. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to worry about that church on diversity. <laughs> They'll get over it in a little while. We'll make it, they'll go back to lap taking. Don't worry about it. They'll go back to faking. Don't worry about it. No, Rainmaker, my friend. Rainmaker knows he don't have to see the results to know it's happening. Come on, somebody. A Rainmaker don't have to see the cloud. He don't have to see it. He can, everybody else can tell him about it. But he knows already. He's seen it in the Spirit. Woo! I can see it in the Spirit. I see a, a church in Indonesia. Metro praise, we praise in his name. Come on. Come on. Right there in Indonesia. Come on, somebody. Gateway to the nations. Proving ground right down the road. You want to be a missionary? Bring the boom to Devon. Or wherever the Lord's telling you. To Wright College. Come on, somebody. I believe Pastor Joe's ready to preach. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
Rainmakers. Rainmakers say, look, your marriage is messed up, and I, you know what? I'm going to pray until that thing starts blossoming. Your relationship with your kids is messed up. You won't go with here comes a cloud. It ain't a loud cloud, but it's, it's, I can hear it. He said to the king, Elijah did, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Did he see it? When the servant came back and told him seven times, six times I didn't see it, and on the seventh time I saw some little thing about the size of a man's hand. Hand. That brings me to the five-fold ministry. Rainmakers know about the five-fold. Come on, somebody. My Lord. How you doing, girl? So glad to see you. Amen. This finger right here represents the teacher. Everybody do like this. Everybody do like this. Getting on the Q-tip. <laughs> now, don't flick it at your neighbor. That's trouble, okay? This represents the teacher because it's the smallest finger on the hand. And the teacher is the one that breaks open the Word of God and cleans out every lie of the devil that he's been whispering and tormenting in your ears that you've been listening to. Come on. The things of this world, the principles of this life, come on, all that Hollywood and glamour and all that they, they show you and it ain't true, that's what the teacher does. He brings out the Word and he says, no, no, this is the truth. And he cleans it out so you can hear God more directly and clearly. The second finger on the hand is this finger. It's the ring finger. It's actually this finger. That's the finger that represents the pastor. Because the pastor is married to the church. Come on, somebody. The pastor is the one that, that, that goes through with the church. The pastor is the one that's going to be going and leaving and gone and say, I ain't seen you no more. That's probably more like the evangelist, okay? <laughs> the pastor is married to the church. The, the, the longest finger on the hand... And I've got to be careful about using this finger here. Is the devil. Everybody do this. <laughs> Please don't get offended. If the religious bone is offended, I'm sorry. Look, I'm the evangelist in here, okay? I'm the one that's always getting the finger, okay? Why do we say the, the, the middle finger is the evangelist? Because it's the longest finger on the hand, and the evangelist is the one that does the outreach. It reaches outside the body of Christ and brings it into the body of Christ. Come on. Then you have this finger. Everybody do this. Everybody do this. Everybody do this. This is the prophet. The prophet points the way and direction in which God is showing the church and points the way to God and points out the sin in their life and in the life of other people and points out the holiness of God. Come on. That's the pointer finger. That's the prophet. Woe unto you. Amen? Then you have the apostle. Everybody do this. Everybody do this. The apostle is over all these. He probably has served in probably all these roles, so he knows how they function. 
And he's able to go to the teacher and say, your teacher's teaching is on. Evangelist, that was a great outreach. Uh, you know, pastor, you're doing a great job in this church. Prophet, what you just prophesied, that was from God. He's also able to go and say, no, 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 prophet, you just miss God. Because he has the authority to do so. Because he has the discernment to do so. Because he has the flow of the Holy Ghost. Amen? So he's able to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And all together we work as a hand. The spirit of the rainmaker knows that he's got to call forth the hand into the earth to work. Come on, somebody. Fakers, forsakers, lap takers, rainmakers. Branch shakers. Everybody say branch shakers. Branch shakers are the people who come in your life to make sure you got fruit on your tree. Come on, somebody. Branch shakers, they get up in that branch. Because I don't know if you know how olives, they don't just fall out the tree and they're ready. They actually go and they take and they shake the branches. And when they shake the branches, they gather the olives and they take the olives and they put it on a crushing stone. And that's why that place that Jesus went right before he died is called Gethsemane. It's called the oil press. Because it was literally the place where they took the olive and Jesus was symbolic of the olive. And he was being crushed. Abba, Father. He was being crushed. And as he was being crushed, an anointing was being produced in his life. And branch shakers will help you to produce the anointing in your life. They're the ones that come into your life and they don't just say, oh, you look like you're doing good. Take care. They're the ones that get in your face. Did you pray last night? You read the Bible? Where are you reading in the Bible? Really? What did God say to you? You said that to you last week. That's the same chapter you were on last week. You better not come back to me next week and tell me the same thing. Those are branch shakers. Branch shakers are people who stand up in a pulpit and they'll preach a message and you'll just start getting rattled. Come on, somebody. But you understand that you're realizing, am I bearing fruit or am I not bearing fruit? Come on, somebody. You want to be bearing fruit in this thing, amen? You want to be having something to give when people say, Jesus, what about this Jesus? You say, here you go. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I had my branch shook. Here's a piece of fruit. It just came right off. Amen? Give them, give them an opportunity to shake your branches. I hope you won't only have your branches shook. I hope you shake some branches. Come on, somebody. Because the Bible said there was a parable that when the man came to the tree, he said, well, there ain't no fruit on this tree. And the serpent said, hold on now. If you just wait a little bit longer, let me put some fertilizer on it. And he says, look, if I come back here next year, I'm cutting it down. And when you begin to share the gospel in your, in your work and you begin to shake the branch and they realize they ain't bearing fruit towards life, you're able to help them. Turn, come on somebody, from their wickedness. Turn from their wicked way. And then they begin to become the tree that God called them to be. You can be a branch shaker wherever you go. You've got to follow the Holy Ghost and be able to say what the Holy Ghost is saying to be a branch shaker. You can't be afraid of their faces. You've got to get over the fear of man because the fear of man brings a snare, the Bible says. I'd be more afraid of God than I would be of man. Amen? And lastly, well, fakers, forsakers, lap takers, rainmakers, branch shakers, and lastly, earthquakers. This is where we bring the boom. Amen? 
I'm going to tell you something. What will bring the boom into people's lives is when people start hearing from the other world, from the world that is more real than the world that exists that we're walking in. See, when you are an earthquaker, you begin to shake the very ground of the people that are around you. And they realize that nothing that they have is for eternity. Come on, somebody. They see, if you look, if there was an earthquake break loose in this place, I don't think everybody would be sitting here listening to White Tyrone. I think they'd all be like, let's get up out of here because the ceiling is coming on down. Come on out here and preach in the parking lot. We won't, we won't wait till this earthquake is over. Hello? Spiritually, when you begin to move in the, in the anointing that God has for your life, you begin to shake things loose. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that you can shake everything that can be shaken so that the things that remain are eternal. Amen? Because we are given a kingdom that is eternal. And that eternal kingdom is going to last forever. Temporary things like loss of job. Temporary things like divorce. Hello? Look, if you have, if you have uh, uh, been a child of divorce, or you, you, th- those things can be temporary. God can wipe away all the shame that you feel towards those things. See, you don't want to hear this kind of preaching. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth tonight. You start preaching the truth of God. You start getting a revelation of the love of God. You start getting a revelation of the justice and the mercy of God. You're going to start shaking things up. You can't help it. It's where you go. There's an earthquake. Come on, somebody. You bring the boom. And I don't know if you don't understand about it. Listen, I was in the army. I had to join the army at the age of 17 because at the age of 15, I had nowhere else to live. And by the age of 17, I ran out of all my friends. I flushed the toilet one too many times in my friend's house, and I got kicked out. You don't know if you know how that feels. Worried about how many pieces of cheese are in the refrigerator because if you ate too many pieces of cheese, you're getting kicked out. I had to go to the army at the age of 17. When I went in the army at the age of 17, I got into basic training and they told me, you know what, we're going to go through all these exercises. I got to this thing called live fire, night fire. And what it is, is literally there's live ammunition. You have to do this before you can get, get out of basic training. There's grenades going off. There are bombs going off. And there's live rounds of ammunition. You can see every three shots, there's a called a tracer round. And it, sh- it shoots a red light to show you where you're firing your bullets at night. That's how you can keep firing your, your, your weapon and keep the aim on it. And they are real bullets that are flying over the top of your head. In fact, during the whole day, the drill sergeants were scaring every one of us. Don't stand up. You had to crawl for over a mile on your hands and your knees and on your face through a battlefield. And they told us a bunch of things not to do, and I probably did half of the things they told me not to do. I'm just being honest. And I find myself too close to the barbed wire. They said, don't get near the barbed wire. But I found myself, I didn't know where I was going. I'm like this, crawling, and all I'm seeing is dirt. And I find myself, and I'm up on the barbed wire, and I finally I'm trying to push myself back. And all of a sudden, boom! My hand's splitting open right there. there. There is a half, or excuse me, yeah, half stick of C4 that just went off. C4 is the word, or is the code word for dynamite. I know what a boom feels like. 
Amen? When I was going to India for the first time, now I had never met the person I was going to go meet. I didn't know if they were going to take my money and put me in a trunk and, and I'd be in the Indian Ocean somewhere floating by White Tyrone. So long, sayonara, me and Bugs Bunny on the island. And the devil started messing with my mind. Started telling me all these things that were going to happen to me and all these things going to happen to my wife and all this mess. And I heard the Lord say, be quiet, boy. Go to your gate. And I went into my gate in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I looked up there. And the gate number was C4. And I heard God say, you're going to bring the boom in India. And we saw miracles upon miracles upon miracles. And we're still seeing miracles today. What am I trying to tell you? That there is a boom in the spiritual realm that you can bring when you're full of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine that you go to somebody that you've never met before, and this isn't something I'm telling you out in, in the outer limits. I'm telling you this because I know this happens to not only me, happens to your pastor, happens to people. You can know names. You can know, you can know specific events about people when you get in tune to the Holy Ghost. Because God wants you to minister to people in such a dynamic, in such a way, in such a specific way that you can know facts about people. There's a woman this weekend that I ministered to that God told me she had been molested by her cousin as a young girl. And that it had ruined her life. She, she came up to me for prayer. She said, my prayer I, is that I would not feel so dry all the time. I always feel dry. Now, I've given my life to Jesus, but I feel dry. Immediately, the Lord gave me the word of knowledge, what it was. And I said, ma'am, I want to tell you this, and I tell you this because the Lord wants to set you free tonight. You are bitter. You are bitter over an event that took place. Somebody molested you when you were a young girl who was your cousin. She began to weep right there at the altar. She began, help me, help me pray, help me pray. You know what she testified to me this morning? That she went home, she felt the presence of the Almighty God come on her, and she said, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but I forgive. And a spiritual boom happened at that altar, and it happened over her life when she cried out to God. God is not a respecter of persons. I told you this last time I came. He's an inspector of persons. He's saying, who wants it? Who's desiring my presence? Now, I, I, I don't have an ability to give you a gift. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts severally as He wills, as He desires. But I do know they're available. And I do know that if you'll press in and pray, that you will receive an endowment of dunamis, a boom, to impact the world that's around you. Can you say amen tonight? Can you say amen tonight? Can you say amen tonight? There are people in here tonight that need to start bringing the boom. They need to start bringing the boom wherever they go. They need to not think they're going to McDonald's for a cup of coffee anymore. You might get two creams, two sugars, but you're also getting a boom. Amen? You might, you might be going down to the grocery store to get some hot sauce, but buddy, you're about to leave something behind in the aisle where the potato chips are. Come on, somebody. You start praying for folks, and you start saying, you know, the, uh, I just want you to understand, man, this is, here, we're going to get ready to move. 
I need, here, come, can I get the band? Come on, here we go. Can I get the band, the worship team, to come on up here? Hallelujah. We're going to start seeing, we're going to start seeing people receive the boom. And you know what? Just as quickly as you receive the boom, we're going to see you bring the boom. Some of you are going to get touched by God at an altar tonight, and you're going to turn right around, and you're going to pray for folks in here. You're going to get a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom is going to be in operation in your life tonight. Why do we got to wait? Is there, I didn't know we had to go through spiritual training center before we could use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I just thought we'd just get filled up with the Holy Ghost, and He has an anointing that abides within you. He's the teacher. He's the leader. He's the guide. We've got pastors here. We've got prophets here. We've got evangelists here. If you get out of order, if you get out of line, we'll help you get back in line. This is the proving grounds. This is saying, Lord, I need you. I need you because I know what you're calling me to do is greater than what I have. You go into a place somewhere tomorrow and instantaneous healing happens for a person. You're not going to tell me that's not going to boom. It's not going to shake the life that, that, that they know. It'll shake their mom. It'll shake their dad. It'll shake their children. It'll shake their, it'll shake their office. It'll shake wherever they are. Somebody has brain cancer in your building. You need to bring the boom. You got a child in your, in your life that has leukemia. You need to bring the boom. You got a mama who's been praying and crying out for a son that's on drugs. It's time to bring the boom. Bring the dunamis. Bring the power of the Holy Ghost. It is available to whosoever wills, to as many as will call upon Him from this generation until the end. Sons and daughters weaving together under a mantle of anointing.